0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen.
1: Father in Heaven, thank you so much for your incredible love for us that you were willing to send Jesus across the expanse of the universe to our world, to a very specific home and a place that was vulnerable and difficult. We thank you that you had a great love to come and be one of us, to share our suffering, our difficulties, and then to call us to your great mission of reaching out to those who are suffering, who are struggling, who are far from home, and anything that's important to them, except for maybe a bit of their family. We ask that you would come today by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us your heart for refugees, your heart for those who are the stranger in our midst. And so we ask that you would take over this time, the things that we say, the things that we think about, and you would lead us into the mission field that is strategic at this end time to take the gospel to every corner of the earth. We thank you and we pray that wherever this, this gospel goes, it will also reach to those who are marginalized, who are on the edges of society, who feel like a stranger, and are longing lonely for family, for connection, for safety. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
1: My name is Pastor Scott Griswold, and my wife Julie is joining me in this. You'll hear more from her during this week um, as we share our involvement in refugee ministry. But I want to give you just a little introduction to to where it comes from in our hearts. As we were at the seminary, we began to be more and more stirred for the needs of those who never had a chance to hear. So I was not aware of it growing up, very isolated in my thinking and understanding as far as the gospel needing to go to the world. I had the sense that already the Adventist church was everywhere, like Mission spotlights seemed to show. And as we became more and more aware of the thousands of unreached people groups in the world, we began to pray, Lord, put a people group on our hearts. And we didn't know where that would be, how God would lead. But as we began to pray, different things about Cambodia began to come across our, our mind and our, and our lives. As a, as a child of 8, 9, 10 years old, I didn't know what was happening in Cambodia. We didn't realize that 2 to 3 million people were dying of starvation, were dying from being killed um, by uh, child soldiers, by the genocide that was taking place in the country. But in the seminary, we began to hear, I watched the movie The Killing Fields, and my heart just broke for what people went through during that, that horrible time. Uh, and then we decided to go and talk with Ju- Judy Aiken, who was part of the AFM Refugee Projects that later became ASAP Ministries. And we said, someday we would like to be missionaries and be able to serve, serve God among some people that are in great need, someplace where it's extremely poor, someplace where, there's, um, where they have no knowledge of Jesus. And she said, let me tell you about Cambodia. She described a country that had been just destroyed by war and now was rebirthing itself with many, many children, over 50% of the country being children, and that there were still many in the refugee camps, and that quite a few thousands had become Seventh-day Adventist Christians during that time in the refugee camps. So this picture was growing in our mind, and it just seemed, you know, just such a great need and we wondered maybe someday we'll be out there and can help and at my wife's graduation Judy Aiken walked up to us there on the steps of Pioneer Memorial Church where the the statue of of John Andrews and his two children are and she said to us we need somebody in the refugee camps now will you go and we we were just totally taken back and we began to pray and God led us to to go And we landed in Thailand and took the four- or five-hour journey out towards the refugee camps. (coughs) And we had a little house waiting for us, and we began to go every day or every other day to the refugee camps, two different ones, where the last of the Cambodian refugees were waiting, hoping, still hoping, to join others who'd gone to America, Canada, Australia, France, and then realizing, no, nobody more is going. You're headed back to your country, which is supposedly now safe enough to have its first ever free election. But a huge contingency of United Nations soldiers are there to make sure it's so. And we met people who were so frightened that they refused to get on the bus and only at gunpoint were able, were able had to be made to get on as they went back to try to start their life again. For six months, we had the privilege of being beside them, preparing them, encouraging them, helping them to think about what their life would be back in their country and helping many of them who had become Seventh-day Adventist Christians have the idea of planting a church wherever they would go. So this was our experience, going to the markets, buying things like toilet paper and pens for their children who were eager to learn and study they couldn't get out of the camps safe though they were they were stuck they had to put up with whatever was delivered to them placed in their hands Uh, we'd see big piles of turnips and big piles of greens and bags of rice that were brought and people standing in line waiting their turn we talked with uh, individuals in the safe part of the camp you think the whole camp was safe but thieves would come through the barbed wire fences and pass the landmines to steal. Or maybe it was just someone else in the camp who felt they needed something. So there we'd sit and talk and try to comfort church members who had had everything that they had, little though it was, taken from them, and be able to pray with them, encourage their hearts, and then watch them go back on the bus and move to Cambodia, and we moved with them. We repatriated with them, only we got on a plane and went to Phnom Penh and began to learn the language and began to help as they came. Some of them went to their own villages, others, there was nothing for them where they were. Their house was taken over by somebody else, now was living in their home, or maybe it had been destroyed. And, and so we met them, tried to help them have jobs, and encouraged their hearts and visit them to encourage them to start churches where they were. And that's how the Cambodian church in Cambodia, the Cambodian Seventh day Adventist church began to be built, began to grow up as little pockets of returned refugees shared the gospel with their neighbors. And that's also how we have Cambodian Seventh day Adventist churches in places around the United States. As Judy Aiken back here in the United States, began to encourage others, and other people saw the need and began to welcome the Cambodians into their churches, into their hearts, and into their lives. So that, that gives you a little bit of our background. Since then, at this time, we are serving in Texas, Houston, Texas, and we are, uh, we are reaching out to refugees. Yes, Cambodians still, 30 years later, they are immigrants, um, that have been here, many of them for that long, for 30 years since that time of crisis in Southeast Asia. And and it's not like it's gone from their heart and mind. Chuck, who's my age, when I sit in his home, he's my, my close friend, it won't take long, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and he's talking about those days of the war that he went through as a young boy of 9, 10 years old. How, how it just hangs there with them. So even though they wouldn't consider themselves refugees anymore, for they've raised children here who are now raising children, it's still there in their heart, the pain and the loss and the difficulty. And today we want to enter into the heart of refugees. We work now more with Afghan refugees who have been flooding in just three, just in the month between December and January of this year. We saw another 3,000 come into, come into Houston. Uh, the numbers are increasing, increasing across the United States. We have at least 76,000 who have come in the last year. That's about the normal amount of refugees who came into the United States each year for the last many years, except for maybe the last three or four years. It's been very small. But that all came at once from just Afghanistan. And now we have the Ukraine crisis. So, so this, this wave of refugees is, is bringing it to the forefront of many people's minds. And to God's people, they are rising up to it. So that when we were at the GC session just this last week, meeting people from around the world, we heard many individuals who have begun to minister and to serve and to care. Oh, I have an Afghan friend now said a conference president from Northern California. My wife and I are reaching out to your family, and different ones. It's it's it is something special that God is doing. You can see up here. Uh, you can see up here the statistics from the UNHCR. If you go and just um, type in the internet search "refugee statistics," this will be the first one that comes up because the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees is the one that most oversees the problem in the world and sees the need. I've also written it on the board here, 84 million displaced people in the world. So what's a displaced person? That sounds like, oh, I displaced my watch. I can't find it. Where did I set it down? No, these are people like you and me who love to live where they live with the friends and neighbors they have, going to the church they've always gone to, shopping at the market they're used to, and suddenly, they cannot be there anymore. It's not safe. Whether through war or through persecution, some reason, they have to be up and moved. So displaced is different from the word refugees. Refugees is a smaller amount. As you can see there, it speaks of um, it doesn't, 26.6 million people are refugees. That means they cross the border into another country. So think of Syria in recent history. So many who fled the country. More than 4 million people left. But many more were just not able to live in their hometown. They had to flee to a safer part of the country. And of those 84 million that cannot live at home any longer, 35 million are children. That means that one out of 100 people in the world don't get to live at home don't get to be safe in their own place and environment. I almost hesitate to share statistics because we can kind of just blank out when they see the numbers. But as we go through this experience today of feeling the heart of refugees, I believe it'll come very close. And perhaps some of you have met individuals and as you hear their stories, it becomes much, much more real. Of course, there's nothing like going through it yourself, and as we, as we connect, I find individuals, perhaps some who've come across the border from the South, who have been through similar experiences, but are therefore able to relate to those who've actually led fled war-torn countries. Being able to understand where they're from and what they've gone through is crucial as we seek to enter into their heart. But before we talk any more about that, I want to to just visit a couple places in Scripture so that we can feel the heart of God towards refugees. In reality, the Bible is a story of migration from beginning to end. You think about it, Adam and Eve made a choice, a horrible choice against the goodness, the gracious, the, the loving protection of their father, and through that had to leave where they were. As they left that garden, Of Eden, that beautiful place, a flaming sword was there to keep them from perpetuating sin forever by taking hold of the tree of life. But even though they were sent away from their home of safety, God had a heart to care for them. And he clothed those first refugees with skins from animals that he must have somehow taken the life of and made that first sacrifice, demonstrating that one day Jesus would come as a Messiah and would be willing to give his life. In fact, when Jesus does come, he becomes a migrant who moves from heaven to earth in order to help and to save us. He himself enters into a strange country and takes on a new language, a new birthplace. And then within just a short time, what happens? He becomes a refugee, right? As Herod seeks to destroy him, His mother, his earthly father, pick him up and flee in the night to another country with a strange language for them, with people who look down at them and despise them as foreigners. And there they live far from family. And when they come back, they can't even return to their homeland. They have to go to another place still in fear. This is our God who has entered into the life of refugees who has chosen to become part of us to be vulnerable, to understand what we, we go through, so that when a refugee goes through this heartache, they can cry out and say, "God, do you understand?" And he can say, "Yes, I understand." Yeah. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, as it says, about the children of Israel, as they were refugees fleeing a situation of slaughter, of genocide and of slavery. And they came out headed towards a place of slavery. God was with them, caring for them. The, the the awareness of this grows on us the more we read the Bible through these eyes. And I invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to look at the text in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34 is, is not the only text in the Old Testament but it's probably the best one that just, that just you can feel God's passion as he communicates this. As you're finding it, Leviticus 19, and 34, I want you to know that after the command to love God with your whole heart, the command that is most often repeated in the Old Testament is to love the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. I was just amazed when I heard that. I was so surprised. Though it was important to me, I had no idea how much it is repeated in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.33 and 34 says, And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him, as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He adds that at the end, almost like, you better listen. This is so important. <laughs> First, he says, don't mistreat them. Because we would think that would be obvious. But people do. People take advantage of the stranger who doesn't know what's going on, the person who isn't expecting the same salary as other people, the one who's in desperate need of help. Gets taken advantage of So first God says You better be careful Don't mistreat them It's not fair And then he says Take it beyond that To just not mistreat them Don't ignore them Treat them as someone Who's born among you As as a regular citizen Care for them Love them Surround them As you would But more than that Love him as you love yourself Now Now Think of the Middle East, of, of these places where this law was given. You cannot find it in other tribes, in other religions. They did not say that kind of a thing. It was about caring for your own tribe. Look out for your own people. Make sure you're safe and have good laws among you, but definitely weren't worried about the others, the outsiders. So we see the heart of God shining through this in a beautiful way in which he calls them to love them as their very fairy selves. This is part of it, because he says, don't forget, you were strangers. You were slaves. You had a life like that. And I find that many, many who have, who have come from that background have a greater heart to reach out. So those of us maybe who have been here three, four, five, six generations, forgetting that our forefathers also were pilgrims and strangers in a new land, need to hear the word of God which speaks to us in Ephesians chapter 2. You were strangers. You were pilgrims. Turn there with me for just a moment. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 11 and 12, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, Gentiles meaning other nations, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Verse 19, you are therefore no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Did yeah. you? Did we realize that the gospel was about bringing strangers, refugees, aliens, words we don't use to refer to people now, but helps us to feel that separation, that being far, and now we've been brought close by the blood of Christ, made part. I think if we will realize what God has done for us in Christ to make us part of a new kingdom, it will help us not be, maybe I should say, so nationalistic as internationalistic with God's heart to welcome people of other cultures, from other backgrounds, no matter their past, thinking of their glorious future in Christ. Amen. Yes. Ephesians chapter 2 and then several verses there. You know, we usually read Ephesians two one through ten talks about the gospel, Christ you have been saved, created for good works. But from verses eleven on to the end of the chapter, it shows us that God is about bringing people together who are separated by all kinds of reasons, but in Christ become one. Amen. And I encourage you just to begin reading the Bible through new eyes and see see what God. Um, has to say about refugees and immigrants. But now I want to take you right into the heart of um, what it's like to be a refugee through a, a, an experience, a kind of a simulation that we'll do here together. For those who are listening online, I want to ask you to get active, to move out of your, your whatever you're doing, unless you're driving in the car somewhere, then you'll have to picture this in your mind, but I want you to try to go through it. It will take us a few moments to do it here, and so there'll be a little bit of quiet time, but it will help you to process what we're talking about. So I've written on the board here, you have three different colors of paper, four pieces of each. So if you're listening, you can take a paper and tear it into four pieces. Even if you don't have colored paper, just make separate piles. And I'd like you to write on the purple sheet sheets, four important things that you own so just think of objects that are important to you and put just one object on each paper so the four purple pages write down maybe it's your phone something something you own something that belongs to you one on each of the purple papers
0: the most valuable
1: the most valuable to you the things people. yes definitely things People comes later. Just a reminder, make sure you put one on each of the four pages instead of all four on one page. It's
0: not an easy
3: exercise. <laughs> <That's
1: even harder. laughs> okay. Just four important things that you want <laughs> Everything feels important. Okay. It doesn't have to be your four most important, but just four things you want to put down. Then moving on to the red paper I want you to put down four important people that are presently alive Four important people to you That matter to you, relationships that are important to you One on each of the four pieces of paper Again you're thinking of the people that are most important to you, most loved in your life And then on the blue paper, four activities that you love to do. It could be a hobby that you enjoy, some type of exercise you love. It could be just any activity that's important. One on each of the blue papers.
2: All right, it looks like you're almost there. A couple of
0: you
1: still writing. I want to make sure everybody's done before we go to the next step. You can finish up, as I'm sharing with you, a short story um, that will help move us into the rest of the activity. I have a very close friend in Houston who has been in America um, for about, well, 13 years, and it started his his life started in the country of Laos, that little landlocked country near Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam, and China, and he grew up there and became part of the communist party and as he worked as a as a part of the military part of their government um, he he found himself bothered by certain things he was He was married he had two small daughters and and he He just—he didn't see honesty. He was a man of integrity, and it bothered him some of the things that were being done. Even though the, the intention was supposedly good to help their country, it really troubled him. And he began to speak up. People would say, you better not try to speak up about anything. You're going to get in trouble. He said, well, it needs to change. We're trying to make our country a better place. And eventually it came that serious that they said to him, Polly, you've got to get out of here. They're going to kill you. It's you're 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 just right that close from being taken out And so he fortunately had a passport and his wife he had gotten a passport for her over time But he really had not expected to need them and to go anywhere when suddenly he realized he had to go His wife was pregnant and with expecting their third child and suddenly it was you've got to get out of here So he purchased two tickets. He could not purchase tickets for his two daughters They were not able to go with him. It was too sudden. There was no time. They had no passports. So instead, one daughter, they placed in his mother's hands. Please take care of her as your own. We don't know how long till we can get back. And then the other daughter was placed in his wife's mother's hands. Please take care of her. We do not know how long till we can get back. They purchased tickets for the United States and got on the plane. 13 years later, They've not been able to yet see their daughters. We got to see them as we went to the country of Laos because we have the correct papers. They still—he—he he was given asylum in the United States. Somehow, his wife was not. She has no ability to travel. Just this month, his sisters went back to see his mother, who is ailing. That's the experience of having to make a choice. Our life and the future of our baby, or being with our daughters, being with our family. What a difficult and challenging time. And what I want you to do now is to look down at your three colors of paper. We're just doing the three. Look down at the three colors of paper, and I want you to choose one from each category that you will choose to lose. A simulation of loss. I want you to take them and I want you to tear them up. You can set them on the chair next to you um, or drop them on the floor and we'll pick them up. Choose one from each category that you will choose to lose. You can fold it. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Just set it aside from the rest of them so that it's not there. How does... How do you feel about having to make a choice about loss? Trapped? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm already going going somewhere else to get it back. Thinking about going somewhere else to get it back, mm-hmm. find a way to recover it.:
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah. So well, one thing true affects true, the other. Affect mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Sad sad. these are choices people make Is they're running from the village pick up their littlest daughter and think is it safe for me to go to school to pick up my older son or should I just go and make sure that I keep myself and this baby alive what do I take from my house I can only carry so much this is important to me that's important to me what do I grab what a reality in the refugee camps in Cambodia in Thailand where we were we met one young man named Paul Sotie. I won't tell you his whole story, but I want to tell you this. Out of eight or nine brothers and sisters, he did not know how many he had lost. He knew several that had been killed and he assumed that all were dead. But he didn't know for sure. For many years, he was in the refugee camps. He heard the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, out of a out of a little bamboo church and wandered in to find out what friend is this? I need a friend. I've lost everything. And he found Jesus and became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He was one of those young men who would not get on the bus until by gunpoint they forced him on because he was so afraid to go back to his country. I'll tell you the rest of it after we do the next. I want you to turn the papers over so you can't see what's on them. Mix them if you need to so you don't know Which one is where? You can mix them together, it's fine. But just turn them over so you can't see what you've written on them. So we're going to turn them over. And now I want you to simply choose one again from each of the three categories, one from each of the three colors that you will now lose. And you can set them on table tear them up tear them fold them set them aside don't look at them don't look at what you've no, you lost take one from each section the first time as a choice now just just sit there for a moment and ponder your loss how does it feel to not know
0: well we have a friend in Nigeria who was there during the Civil War. And he said, when the war comes, you load up your baggage, you load up your kids, and you run. And pretty soon you drop your baggage to the front, then you drop your kids to run.
1: <laughs> well, well, I hope you heard her as she was speaking, if you're listening online. But friends from Nigeria, and we have dear friends from Nigeria. There is so much heartache and persecution there right now between Christians and Muslims. She said, at first you grab your child and your your belongings and you run. Then you drop your belongings and hold on to your children and run. And then you drop your children and you run. This is the kind of unknown where you don't know what has happened. And you don't know what's happened to your home. We have refugee friends from Afghanistan who are like, we had to leave our house. We locked the door with all our valuables inside. And then later they find out, yes, Taliban busted open the door and have taken everything, and now they're living in our house. Um, you know The unknown about family. Paul Soti, after the war was over and he was back in the country, began to contact the Red Cross. Are there any of my brothers and sisters that are still alive? He found one. He found one. And later he resettled in Japan because he just couldn't handle living in Cambodia anymore. So Julie, Open. tell us. First they can look No. No. Okay. Go ahead and tell us about your experience knocking yeah. on a door in the apartment complex.
3: We work among like my husband said with refugees from Afghanistan primarily, and we do children's programs quite often in and we just do it right there at the apartment complexes. And so when I knocked on my friend's door to have her bring her kids for the kids program, she just gave me this blank stare, and she wasn't friendly like she normally is, and she'll hug me, you know, the three kisses and the and the hug, and she didn't do anything. She was just like in a in a blank stare, and I looked at her and said, "Is are you okay?" And she had just gotten the word. Just very shortly after I knocked on her door and she showed me the picture and her husband, her brother, who was a physician in Afghanistan, had just been shot that morning. And she was just trying to deal with the, I'm in Texas, I'm on the other side of the world, and there's nothing I can do but weep and see this horrible picture of her dear brother that had been shot by the Taliban.
1: So, this is the loss, not that is chosen, not even that's unknown, and that you're wondering and hoping, but the loss that has been forced upon you. I want you to keep your papers still turned upside down and um, just have them sitting there for a moment. For those who are listening online, Julie and I have gone through the group, and taken and torn from what was left of what they have, some more, some less. And we are just simply pondering the loss of what it's like to lose without any choice. Mm -hmm. You can now take and turn your papers over and um, see what remains, and just ponder it quietly without talking for a moment, and then share. What? How this has impacted you?
0: My daughter was taken and ripped from me, and that definitely brings sadness and grief, and even the thought of it is um, because I know there's mothers that you know it's real. It's real. their, their babies are gone. You know. They're gone. And so nothing else matters to them. The grief is just horrible. I can't even imagine. We're
1: trying to imagine, we're trying to understand, but how can we? Unless we have yes.
0: Well, um, the blue cards uh, with the activities and the purple cards are really irrelevant. Mm. Mm. Now the red card that's left is the most important thing.
1: Yes, what is left is extremely precious.
3: I have a blanket, and I can make music, and I have a reason to live.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the beautiful resilience that you just spoke of at the loss of all the people in your life um, is what many refugees have, and why we admire them so much, and are so blessed to work with them. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Anyone else, how this has impacted you as you've gone through this brief loss simulation that can't come close to it, yet somehow really touches our hearts every time we do it?
0: The impact on
2: on your own mental health becomes
1: Mm.
2: something you have to battle with. So what do you do? Do you just um, fall down in, in despair and anguish? Or do you try and shrug it off so it doesn't, you know, make you go mad? Yes, yes. Because uh, mental anguish can be very destructive to your own own thoughts.
1: Absolutely important for us to think about and to deal with. And tomorrow we'll talk some about how do we minister to the needs? In fact, this is what I ask you to take away tonight, and God willing, you'll be able to join us tomorrow to ask the question, if that were me, what would I want somebody to do for me? When Jesus has commanded us, love them as you love yourself, we must ask that question, what would I want to be done? Anyone else want to comment? How this has impacted you going through the loss simulation?
2: I felt a series of emotions that they probably feel, refugees probably feel when they go through. There was anger, loss, pain, uncertainty, and it also reminded me, I went to college with a man from Sierra Leone when they were having their internal strife. And here we are studying together, and he gets a call, find that his wife has had to leave their home with their children yeah. because the rebels have come in. And I watched it happen mm. right in front of me, his reaction, yeah. and just that gut-wrenching, what is uh, happening to my family? Because he, didn't, he wasn't able to connect with them for over a week and a half.
1: Mm. It's an agonizing week and a half. Absolutely, absolutely terrifying. David?
2: Yeah, um... I think at this stage in life, we understand more about what is really valuable and important, like she was saying, the things and the activities, in a sense, those can be replaced with the people. And I can recall listening to a book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, by Viktor Frankl, where he counseled people who were, have lost everything, and were in very... Savory situations. Everything that we have done before in life is not lost. Mm-hmm. And that can never be taken from you, one of us. That's right. And if we survive, the future can be more. Amen. And if I found myself, all my family gone, yeah. I think there would be an appropriate grieving time. And there's a loss that can never be replaced. Absolutely. Well, I think I'd find some transportation and find some people to hang out with. Mm. So I wouldn't go bazooka, you know. <laughs> crazy.
1: Yes.
3: Did anyone um, have everything in contact still? Did Were they able to flee with their families, with their possessions?
1: I, I tried Was to leave any? somebody like that, but there, another soldier came through that...
3: I no. took care of that one. <laughs> I was too mean. No,
1: usually usually there is somebody who's lost. Her. Well, yeah, yeah our yeah. new our newcomer. Yeah. How did you feel doing just fine over here with all your everything yeah, intact? Around
3: you. I wasn't finished writing it yet, so I guess I escaped. <laughs> but I did do this in Oshkosh still, Have and you? I remember having, you know, it's, it's very eye-opening yes.
0: for sure to realize what, what people are going through. and. Mm-hmm. I think you know the only thing that help, could help us get through something like this is our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So, more important to I don't know to be God's hands and
1: feet. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but in reality, this may also be that which is lost because your faith in God mm-hmm. can get lost mm-hmm. through an event, mm-hmm. horrible event mm-hmm. like this. So that's a part of it as well. This law simulation is taken um, mm-hmm. done created by someone else, but we have placed it with adaptation into our Reach the World Next Door training program, which, um, which is available from ASAP Ministries. And we'll be taking little pieces of it during this week that we have together. But It's a 13-part program that can be can be done as a Sabbath school group, as a small group in the church, as a youth group, Pathfinder program, various ways that can go through and, and become aware and you can find out a lot about it at reachtheworldnextdoor.com. You have in your hands a prayer guide praying for the world next door, and Julie's going to lead us in a short prayer in the next five minutes that we have together. Um, but this is something we want you to take with you. It's available online there for others to read in a little bit updated form- format. And uh, and so those are those are things we are just getting started. Um, we have four more days together in which we'll be looking at how can we tangibly help people in physical, emotional, mental ways, social, and get into the spiritual as well. So I encourage you to come back and to bring others with you. We have a huge Michigan field in Michigan. We'll be sharing with you who has come to Michigan. I know many of you already know you have met some of them. And we'll be looking. We have prayer cards that we'll be praying over tomorrow or the next day. But Julie, would you lead us into prayer and 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 we will we will do a popcorn prayer style, just short prayers together. And I think maybe you can do the united prayer part of it tomorrow since we have a shorter time right now.
3: Maybe tonight, if you can look and read through, if United Prayer is not familiar with you, we will be taking this little booklet each day and praying unitedly together. And it's just a four four step programs um, four step prayer, and it's on page thirty two. So if you're not familiar with how United Prayer is, you can just look at your little and, booklet.
1: And at six a.m. Um, Jem Castor with ASAP Ministries the Prayer Program will be leading United Prayer every morning at 6 a.m. in the main auditorium.
3: But today we are going to just turn to page 8 and we're going to pray for refugees.
1: So if you want to pray with us, please just, um, you can just say a short phrase of prayer. And, and if we can
3: just pray it loud and just one or two sentences and then we can go and unite together for the, the prayers. Um, on on page nine, there's three little bullets, and those are specific prayers that we can pray for refugees.
1: And once again, if you're online, you can find this at reachtheworldnextdoor.com under the um, praying for the world next door.
3: And you're welcome to kneel, or you're welcome to just stay seated in your seat. Father in heaven, we just want to start by praising you and thanking you that we can have a little bit of a heart that you have for your people on this earth.
2: Lord, we thank you for the call that you give us again afresh to think about and care for the needs of those that are so less fortunate than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being an example in how to relate to those who've been displaced as you were displaced, and you can understand so well what each is going through. Amen. Amen.
0: And Father, forgive us for our complacency, our self-satisfaction. Give us hearts to Amen. see others as you see them. Amen.
1: Father, forgive us for our slow involvement as a church, Thank you for what you're doing to awaken many, many to reach out now.
3: Lord, teach us how we can
1: minister
3: and help be the hands and feet to the ones that you have brought to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our universities, Father. Help us to enlarge the territory of our social network to include them, Father.
0: Help us to be able to share with our church family members more, so that they would participate and we would really have a very vibrant refugee ministry with lots of church involvement. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I'd like to say that I'm just really grateful that three of our church members are here today, in in this room and it just really warms my heart. Mm-hmm. Thank you, God,
3: for
0: bringing us here. Amen. Father,
3: uh, we pray for all of the churches across North America, that they would rise up and recognize the mission field is right at our door.
1: Father, we specifically lift up to you the Afghans and the Ukrainians, the Syrians, those from Sudan, from the Congo, from Eritrea, From Yemen, many other places, Lord, these heartaches continue to spill across the borders into many places. We ask that you would open the heart of your people and say, come on in, into our heart, into our homes, into our churches, into our countries, and that in turn, they would be able to know you and share you back to their war-torn, persecuted countries that are without the gospel.
0: We
3: thank you, Lord. We know that you are with us and you are with them in wherever there are refugees and displaced people, you are among them. And you alone, Lord, can give them the comfort and the sustaining power to be able to be resilient enough to go on. And may they reach, may we reach them with your love. Is our prayer today in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org/slash audio22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.